Welcome to Campfire Football. This is episode 76, the Gold Cup and Olympics, part two. Well, we got to the semis of the Gold Cup. They're starting um, pretty soon here tonight, I believe. I went uh, three for four in my predictions on the quarterfinals, which was, I guess, okay. I did pick Mexico to go out against Honduras, and that did not happen. I categorically got that one very, very wrong. But overall, it was a great set of matches. The Olympics have heated up really nicely. The Both the men's and the women's side have now passed the group stage. They are into the quarterfinals. Those games are going to be very interesting as well. Lots of surprises coming. And I really think that all these tournaments have reached that point where the intensity is high, the quality is high, and the stakes, well, they're as high as they get. I'd say Canada were really impressive uh, throughout against Costa Rica, winning 2-0. I think that that was that was a call I made. I really felt like Canada have something going. Costa Rica, well, they're sort of in a rebuilding phase right now. There was no Kaylor Navas there, so and it showed because I'm sure some of the goals they got scored that they conceded may not have gone in had he been in there. But it's the Gold Cup. Not very many teams have their full starting lineup, so that's normal. Mexico, they were impressive, beating Honduras 3-0. All the goals coming in the first half was a very comfortable win. But it got a little more interesting once we got to USA-Jamaica. Now, this match was great because it was a tense contest. I mean, it was really, really physical. It was a hard battle. Both teams really, really going at each other. And I loved the way Jamaica's tactics were completely clear and obvious. There was nothing ambiguous about what they were trying to do. They trust their game plan. They go long, they go direct, and they go quick. So what I liked about this is they would re- they would get possession of the ball, and it wasn't just smash it upfield. There were runs that came from their center forwards or their wide players, and everything was meant to get the ball into an attacking area very quickly. But not just dump it and hope that something happens. There was actually... A, a, you could see a real game plan and that they trust it. And you could see that that was going to make it difficult for the United States. To be honest, the U.S., I mean, they edged it more than edged it over the course of the competi- of, of the course of the match. I think that they, they had far more chances to score than Jamaica. Jamaica, look, like I said, they played the game very well. But to be fair, at the end, Matthew Hoppy gets the late, late winner. It felt appropriate, uh, I think, for the way the game had gone. But, man, Jamaica are really going to bring it in qualifying as well. I think the, the United States learn, has learned from this Gold Cup that qualifying for the World Cup might not be a given. Even though they didn't qualify in 2018, I think everyone saw that as such a freak accident that it could possibly not happen again. Well, now we're seeing genuine quality could actually push them to the limit. Now, we know the U.S. team has only brought a C team here, so if they win the Gold Cup with that, that will be a, a pretty big achievement, I think, for the players that are in this squad. Now, the semifinal that they play will be very interesting because they play Qatar, who beat El Salvador in for sure the game of the round. No doubt. I mean, this was incredible. Qatar score first and then take a 2-0 lead from an absolutely ridiculous goal. Hatim had this just beautiful cut back at the top of the box and hits a bomb into the top corner. Probably the goal of the tournament. It's going to be very tough to beat that one. Then they got the third from... I don't understand the decision. I really don't. Uh, this is a penalty that was awarded after a shot hit the foot of the defender and bounced up into his hand. 
and they gave the penalty for this. And even upon reviewing it, there was a review, and they still didn't get this right, which is ridiculous. Now, here's the thing that I think is also funny. If you, I was watching the Fox Sports feed, and one of the most shocking, shocking things is that the use of these referees, these old hack referees who come in and say a statement, and they almost always back the decision on the field. They're al- they almost always do. So here you got Dr. Joe Magnick. Guaranteed this guy is not a real doctor. I'm sure he has a PhD, but um, guaranteed this guy's not a real doctor. He was a referee, and I've never heard him say anything contradictory to what the call on the field is. And here, in this moment, he's like, yep, clear penalty, hits the arm. Can't, can't fault the referee for that. And Stuart Holden's like, whoa, whoa, whoa but no. This hits the defender's foot and then comes up into his hand, which means it shouldn't be a penalty. And the guy goes, a very interesting detail that you've just seen there. Yeah, that that makes the call a little bit more difficult to make. I mean, unbelievable. Like, dude, get off the air. Get off the air. All of us know it's not a penalty. You're one of those people that's the ref, you know, the old head ref that's been brought in to tell us what the decision is. You literally just excuse terrible decisions all the time. I don't want to hear this guy on ever again, but it's Fox. So they're always good. They, they love having their cheese fests, but uh, they, they, Mark Clattenburg was on uh, during the Euros for a lot of ESPN. What I like about Mark Clattenburg is he's willing to say, I think the referee got that one wrong. Love it. But this guy, Dr. Joe, I mean, he, he says he is with the referees on almost every decision. And you're just kind of like, dude, you're one of those old head soccer guys that most of us who call his football and who, really, really are looking into the future of the game, we see you as dead weight. You're a dinosaur. You're someone whose language in the game doesn't belong. You belong in the 19th, in, 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 you know, when the Cosmos and all those teams were around. That's when you had your heyday. Now it's over. It's over. Get off TV. I'm sorry. I'm just not interested in it. All right. So after that little rant, Got to talk about what El Salvador did. They came back roaring because of this goal, which was so cool to see because they looked pretty dead and buried most of the game. They didn't look like they were going to create much. This unjust decision just catapults them into life. Two goals from Rivas in three minutes. They should have had one more at some point at the end. They created so many chances, and they're just very unlucky. I was begging for this game to go to extra time because I thought it would be so much fun. But unfortunately... It didn't. I think another 30 minutes would have just been fantastic, but I don't I, I don't know. Maybe either way, Qatar, I think, were the winners of this game, but did show some real frailties in, in especially what, what it's like for the second half for them. And so the United States can take a look at that and go, well, if we can bring energy all the way through, much, much better opportunity for us to uh, to get the win against this team. And we know that they're going to come out with quality early. So definitely going to be interesting. The semis are set. I'm not really changing any of my predictions. Uh, I'm not going to change anything, though. I'm, I'm going to stick with Canada to win uh, the semifinal. Even though I thought they would play Honduras, they're going to play Mexico. I still am um, banking on them to win the semifinal and for Qatar to get past, or for USA to get by Qatar and for us to have a Canada-USA final with Canada winning it. That's still what I said. I'm sticking to it. All right, let's move on to the Olympics. I, I, this has been fun to watch. Uh, every now and again, I'll turn on my, you know, just go on Fubo and, you know, start streaming just the Olympic channel f- from like 10 p.m. and just start, you know, or like 6, 7, 8, 10 p.m. Just start watching, you know, and just keep an eye. Just just watch whatever event I can. And honestly, this no fans thing is absolutely brutal. It's brutal. The worst sport to watch for sure is tennis without fans. 
I mean, you have this incredible rally that ends and both players just trudge back to the baseline. It's like, like they don't even really celebrate. It's, ah, tennis without fans is, it's been brutal. <clears throat> Some of the other sports are fine though, like kayaking. I don't, I wouldn't, I don't really care about the crowd. It's, it's not really that important, but you can see the impact it's had on all the athletes, all of them. And then in the football, it's, it's just bizarre, right? You've, again, we, I know we've experienced this for the last year, but these games, they, they, they have very little edge and I, that that's, that's been disappointing. However, the football, some of it's been pretty darn good. I have to say Japan, uh, as I was sort of writing and planning this episode down, Japan were three nil or yeah, we're winning three nil against France and would end up winning four nils, absolutely thrashing them. Mexico have also been really impressive in this group stage. They went and beat South Africa three nil. They also beat France in their first game. <clears throat> Narrowly lost to Japan. So that, you know, I think the right teams going through there. Egypt pulled off a shock to get out of a group that had Spain, Argentina, and Australia. And Australia were really impressive against Argentina in their first game. And so you had this, and Spain kind of labored against Egypt. You kind of wondered how this would go. But Spain, you got Danny Olmo, uh, Pedro Oriel Sabal, and Pedri, who are all still playing after a whole year of having played, you know, since the beginning of last season all the way till now. They haven't had a break, and they're making a difference. Spain look a proper side, but there's a few others that do. Um, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, they advanced ahead of Germany to knock them out. Really impressive. That draw that they had with Brazil was the main thing that got them in, but I have to say Brazil, they have to be the favorites. I mean, South Korea have been strong as well, but... Look, to me, Brazil, with Richarlison sort of on fire, Danny Alves in the team, and then it's Brazil. I mean, they have so much talent, and right now they're feeling it. They're, they're feeling it. I think they, they, they really they really want to make it to, to the semifinal, and I think they've got a great shot to do that. I'm going to go over the draw in just a second, but I, I have to give Brazil, for me, favorites, but I think these, these final eight are really good teams that will give us a really solid finish to the tournament no matter what. Spain play the Ivory Coast. Uh, I'm going to take Spain to win that one. I do think they're the better team. Japan play New Zealand. Japan have been excellent so far. I see them winning that. Brazil, I think they'll beat Egypt. And then South Korea, Mexico. I think this will be tight, but I really do think Mexico, that they have something special right now. They are very, very good. And, and it was a narrow loss to Japan that kept them from winning their group. Um, so yeah, I think these are the teams. I think we'll see Spain, Brazil, Japan, and Mexico in the semifinals. Once we're there, we'll talk about it a little bit more. I'm not really going to go and make all the way through the predictions, but it's been a pretty decent tournament so far. Very interesting how few players you actually know. I mean, there's so many of these guys who are here who, you know, it's, you don't really recognize their names very often. You have to actually go and dig and look at where they play. And some of them, it's it's impressive where some of them come from. Tiny teams, uh, smaller clubs, little academies. So, interesting enough, let's move on to the women's tournament. Because this is the one that has the higher value in terms of basically the stakes being high. I mean, this is where you've got your first teams, federations that are looking to maybe retain or sack a head coach based on how it goes. This is a, yeah, it's a really big deal. So first I want to give a shout out to Barbara Banda, who I did, I gave her a shout out for her hat trick in the first game, but then she went and did it again, two hat tricks in a row. Amazing, amazing, amazing stat. It just 
But the funny thing about her second hat trick actually came in a match where it ended 4-4 with China. And China's Shuang, she ended up scoring all four of China's goals. So completely insane, some of these results. Other teams, Sweden, they won Group C, beating the United States in the first game, winning their next two games, outlasting Australia in a 4-2 thriller. That was really great to watch. And then they beat New Zealand on their final day to win the group deservedly. I think you, it's hard to look past Sweden as current favorites to win the whole thing because of how they've done so far and what their draw looks like. So I think that, that that's that's an amazing thing. Other amazing games. Netherlands-Brazil finished 3-3 with some great goals. And Jansen's free kick at the end was just icing on the cake. Amazing game. USA, they got themselves back up and running in their second game, beating New Zealand 6-1, to which I think flattered them. Uh, but it was a deserved win. But I think it was harsh on the on the Ferns. And Canada and Britain, they both drew to advance and qualify. Japan on four points and Australia on four points were the ones that were able to go through as the third-place finishers. The third-place team that did not qualify was Zambia on just one point. So the tournament does actually really start now. The fact that... A Hosts Japan finished in third in their group and are still through. Uh, same with Australia and the United States, who both finished on four points, but the United States were ahead of the Australians on goal difference. That's the only reason why they finished second. But yeah, now, okay, we've gotten the, the, the weakest teams are out, and now some solid matchups have been put together for the next round. I, I have to say, the United States drawing nil nil in their final match. Uh, that was very unimpressive, and it's been dull. And I think the U.S. is really they're in a they're in a tough state right now. They they couldn't beat Australia. They were trounced by Sweden, and look, they walked all over New Zealand. Who, by the way, New Zealand had not played any preparation games before this Olympics. They haven't been able to train at all or do anything together. So huge disadvantage that they had, but. Yeah, the U.S. is not convincing. They still haven't been convincing yet. Uh, Sweden, I think, and the Netherlands have been the two best teams I've seen. Brazil have been exciting, but they give up goals. The Dutch, though, they finished their group by thrashing China 8-2. to Keep in mind, they drew 3-3 with Brazil and won 10-3 to against Zambia. So they've got 21 goals for already, the Dutch. And all kinds of goal scores. It's not like Vivian Mita has 16 of them. It is, it is well spread out amongst the group. They score from all over the place. And, yeah, I mean, I, the Dutch are really dangerous. Dutch and Swedish, to me, have to be the two favorites. But why don't we do this? We'll go through the quarterfinal draw, and I'll give you my predictions, and then we'll, we'll go out of it. So Canada play Brazil. I think Brazil is going to have enough. that Brazil has enough flair. They have enough players that can do brilliant things, and I like the way they do build-up play. They are really, really good at keeping the ball on the ground, doing interchanges. Canada have some great assets, but I just think Brazil has a little bit more. Great Britain, Australia, I think this is going to be a good battle. Probably not very many goals, to be honest. I think Great Britain will go through. They've just got the strongest side, and they've got so much more depth than Australia, but... It could go either way. I just, I really do think that Great Britain, because that one will be tight, I just think Great Britain, they have just what it takes to edge through that one. Sweden, I think they will beat host Japan. And then Netherlands versus the United States. I think 
I think this is it. I think the U.S. are crashing out. And I'm I'm picking them to crash out because I think this team needs a refresh. They need new faces. Like I said, Vlatko come, comes in to a World Cup winning side. And some of your biggest stars in your World Cup win and, and some of your major leaders and performers are these older players. So it's really you can't really drop them when they're the ones, you know, winning golden balls and they're the ones that are... You know, Carly Lloyd, everyone was like, she's done. She comes back and starts just raking in goals in the She Believes Cup. And everyone's like, okay, well, I guess she's pretty important still. So it's not that these players who are aging need to be gone just because they're aging. It's because there is something missing in the team. Who is the real leader when you see the game start? Look, that midfield of Lindsey Horan, Sam Mewis, and Rose Lavelle, in my opinion, that should be what this team is built around. I'm sick and tired of seeing Crystal Dunn play left back she is an exceptionally good attacking player I know she's a good left back but you know what Tierna Davidson's a good left back and she's young and she's she needs she needs to get in she needs to get herself going Crystal Dunn I love watching her attack and though she's a great defender and she really was important in helping the United States win the World Cup in 2019 can we please unleash this woman she is she is such a good attacking player and instead, she's being marooned in the back because, look, Jill Ellis saw that that was a good way to do it, and it worked. But but let's let's move forward here. Let's let's start to get some. I'd like to see Katarina Macario actually start a game, right? Like, there's certain things that I feel like they have. This tournament just needs to end for the United States in a loss, like it needs to end in tears for them to start for Vlatko to kind of get the green light to go and make changes he wants to make. Because I think a lot of people are going to look at this team and go, it's just stale. How can it be better? I think different personnel would make a really huge difference. Again, not that I have anything against the current players. I just think you're at that time where it maybe just went a little bit too long. So it's been a decent tournament. Uh, I, I think now is when it really is on. I mean, these matchups are great. If we see Sweden, Brazil, Great Britain, and Netherlands – or the United States, anyone who any one of these teams who wins their quarterfinal, it will be a good matchup in the semis, and it will be a good matchup in the final. So th- this is this is great, great to see the, the the women's tournament. I think is really well poised now to have all the right intensity and drama. Of course, no fans makes it a little bit worse, but that's all there is. It's all we can do. All right, I'm going to finish up last couple minutes here with uh, just some different. Different football news. So I'm going to go over some of these confirmed transfers that have happened, some of the different things that are going on in the market, because it's a little bit interesting. But I, I don't love getting into it, especially not the gossip, the rumors, and all the talk, because to be honest, I don't really – like it doesn't matter. We end up reading stories later of how close this transfer was and how close that transfer was. And it's like, well, half the time, keeping up with the everyday of it doesn't make any difference. I like to see ink on a paper. I like to see the player holding the kit. That's when I'm like, okay, we can really talk about this. There's some that are close that we can probably mention, but I'm not really into the the stories, right, where no one has come out and said a quote, where nothing has happened, where it's just like just hot air and people are just saying it. So Sancho's done. Sancho to Man United, that's good. One year in the making. It's finally finished. I'm really glad for him. Rafael Varane to Man United as well. That one's not quite finished from the looks of it, but it – from what I can tell, that one's almost a done deal. Man United have to be title contenders at this point. At least they have to consider themselves title contenders. 
if they go into the season being like, yeah, no, top four would be great. You know, there's a lot of competition. That's not good enough. Man United, the squad they have, they need to be showing up at preseason going, how do we win the league this year? That has to be their their priority, in my opinion, after you make these kinds of signings. It's similar to Chelsea last season, how, you know, once they put the big money down on Havertz and Werner, there was an expectation that Chelsea would challenge for silverware. Once it looked like even the top four was going to become a, a problem, you saw how quick the board acted. They were like, no, 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 no. This was a team built specifically to win stuff, not to get kind of close and make fans feel good. Unlucky for Lampard, but that's that's the truth. Tuchel came in and, and really made something happen. Speaking of Chelsea, they haven't signed anybody yet, but it's actually Jules Koundé looks like it's in the final stages. That's going to be an interesting one. Apparently, they're saying that Kurt Zuma will go the other way. We'll see. What I think is more notable about Chelsea is the departures. Fikayo Tomore, he, uh, after going on loan at AC Milan last season, finalized a £25 million move. Victor Moses for $5 million, He's uh, He moved on as well. Uh, Giroud has gone to AC Milan. But I think the most interesting one is Mark Gehi. Uh, Gehi. Whatever. Gehi. Whatever. I don't remember. I don't know how to say his name. Gehi sounds nice. He went to Crystal Palace for $18 million. Now, there's a sign. This is this is a change that's coming. Saw Lewis Bate go to Leeds as well. There's another young player from Chelsea. Last year, Tariq Lamptey left really early in the season. Um, you're, you know, you're left to, left to go to Brighton late at the end of the last season and the previous season. And, and it, you can see how I think a lot of Chelsea players are like, look, I'm good enough to play in the Premier League level. Why do I need to go on six or seven loans fail, and then at the age of 26 decide, okay, now I'm going to leave Chelsea. It doesn't make sense. These kids, if they are good enough to play at the professional, at like in the Premier League, I think that they should just leave the club and just go and play. Because look, there's nothing, if you're a Chelsea fan, yeah, it's the, the ideal for any fan is to see a young player get brought into the first team, blooded in and actually playing and become a club legend, right? That's the ideal. But when you're in a, when you've got an academy like Chelsea's where tons and tons of good players come out, really the stamp that I think the club would want to have is look at all of these players who are professionals playing at the highest level who came from our academy. That is a source of real pride for academy coaches because academy coaches, their idea is how do we get these kids to that level? How do we get them to that level? It's not how do we get them to play for the first team at Chelsea knowing full well that's not necessarily going to happen. Tons of players are going to have to move on, get released, make decisions. And so if you can have an enormous crop that is going every single year into the top levels of, of the game, that's a source of pride. I'd say uh, Man City not making any subs or any transfers yet is very interesting. I'm sure they're keeping their powder dry for something. I'm sure that's coming. Uh, Leicester, I think they've done really well. Ryan Bertrand is a free transfer, really good. Bubakari Sumare from Lille. Uh, for any of you English fans, it, it, Leicester fans maybe, who don't know anything about Sumare because you don't watch Ligue 1, this is a proper player. He played for Lille, Lusk team that my team I support, who just won the French title, and he was an important piece of that. He is a very good central midfielder. I think he's going to be great. They've got Pats and Daka from Red Bull Salzburg as well. Exciting player. I think this is this is a really good thing for Leicester. And you know, I, I, I'm just I'm just very curious to see how this all pans out in the next few weeks. This is going to have to get really crazy and ramped up because the whole Harry Kane story, the whole Jack Grealish story. 
these are kind of what's going on. Erling Holland, we don't know if he's going to stay at Dortmund this season or not. So there's a lot of things that still need to be resolved. English clubs with a lot of money to spend who are going to go and spend money. So it's going to be fascinating. And then obviously, what happens with Barcelona, Real Madrid? How do they dig themselves out of the situation they're in? All of this is going to start to become a lot clearer in the next couple of weeks. But let's enjoy the Gold Cup. Let's enjoy the Olympics. Enjoy the football that's happening right now. This is Campfire Football. Have a great day.